you've got a third generation family business. How do you convince the next generation to join you? <laughs> they have to. One of my cousins and myself, as he and I were both brought up, we both done every job in the plant. And we both had to go out and work for another company for a period of time before we were allowed to come back and work here. A family business that makes the switch from printed circuit boards to running an inn and spa. One of the things that we've learned over the years is when you're coming into a family business, you should work somewhere else so that you can experience it and make sure it's something that you want to do to come back. A 1904 family-owned bicycle parts company winds up making air-cooled engines. I came into the business in the early 90s and decided, boy, if we're going to survive for the next 50 years, I'm not going to be the idiot generation that sort of implodes the entire business. We've got to do something a little bit different. And imagine going to work making flattened radiator wires. Will the kids want to do that? This is the Language of Business, a weekly podcast designed to inform and inspire entrepreneurs and anyone thinking about a startup. Learn about strategies that work and strategies that don't work. I'm executive producer Don Kelly. Our host is Greg Stoller, Harvard MBA and senior lecturer at Boston University Questrom School of Business. On this episode, we look at multi-generational family businesses that you'd never guess are family businesses. Here's Greg Stoller. Thanks, Don. Here's a three-generation family business that goes back almost 100 years. Hub Folding Box Company. Tony DiRico, welcome to the Language of Business. Nice to be here. Thank you very much for having me. How do you have such a diverse customer base with folded cartons? Well, it's kind of our strong point, actually. One of the things that when we moved from our original buildings in South Boston and built this new facility, we were able to put a lot of new technology into this facility. When we put the new technology in, it allowed us to go out and be able to acquire these high-end customers. So the reinvestment in the business afforded us the opportunity to widen our customer base. How did you move from comparatively simple packaging to what you see behind you? When we were in South Boston, we really, our primary businesses were frozen food and bakery. Those were the markets that we served and the equipment that we had back in those days didn't really allow us to create this kind of high-end packaging. When we moved here, we were able to invest in new technology. The way we print today allows us to print on these really cool, exciting, sometimes expensive substrates to create these wonderful points of difference at retail, you know, in terms of the packaging. The investment in the new technology and the new equipment kind of drove that opportunity to where we are today. Every one of these packages are different, and that's the exciting thing about coming to work every day. For our clients, you're creating a new concept, a new idea all the time. That's what makes the industry fun. As third generation, does your vision for the company differ? It's funny, you know, when you look back at my grandfather when he came over, he was a shoeshine boy outside a barbershop in New Haven, Connecticut, and worked for the first folding carton company in the United States. He was quite a guy who developed the first six-pack bottle carrier, developed the, the concept of putting a cellophane window on a folding carton with a company called International Paper Box Machine Company. We had the first automatic window machine in the world. You know, the one thing that I think the vision that the third generation has for this business that's very similar to what my father and my uncles and my grandfather had, is that customers are what makes our business important. Besides you as president and CEO, are there any other family members currently in the business? We have a large group of family members here at Hub Folding Box, and that's the beauty of the business, you know, working with your family. It was just in November, my uncle, Fred Dorico, worked till he was 96 years old as the president of the company. He passed away, and he came to work every day. And my dad, coming up on five years of his passing, and he worked every day till his death. Hopefully that won't be the, the case in my shoes, but I have four cousins that are in the business and myself, and the challenges, as you can imagine, is trying to just get everybody on the same page and focused on, on what we need to do, and I think we've been able to do that very well. As younger people come into the business, how do you deal with old school versus new school of management? Yeah, you know the kids today, they have this uh, entitlement factor. 
and trying to educate them that there's an importance for them to learn and earn their position. It's challenging, but these young kids are smart and they're energetic. The technology is driving a lot of the ability to move things quicker. So, you know, you just have to create, as an owner of the business and a senior manager, you have to create the environment in which these people or your team, your employees can go ahead and thrive. I think we do a good job of that here. I think, you know, one thing that our family is very proud of is, is the way we've reinvested in this business. Between 2006 and 2012, we spent over $40 million in CapEx. And we pride ourselves on the capital investment and the equipment that we have in our facility, reinvesting back into our business for our customers, for our business. The real truth of the matter is that, that without the people, you know, the reinvestment of the people, we wouldn't be anything. I mean, you could take all the equipment that we have in the plant and put it in somebody else's plant, but without the team that we have here, we wouldn't be successful. Even as a member of the family, is the younger generation willing to start on the production floor? <laughs> they have to. One of my cousins and myself, we're the only two that have children, and as he and I were both brought up, we had to work, we've both done every job in the plant, or we all have, and we both had to go out and work for another company for a period of time before we were allowed to come back and work here. Yeah, the importance of appreciating the opportunity of coming to work at your own business or a family business is, is important, yeah, so I think you have to go through that. Tony DeRico, the president and CEO of Hub Folding Box Company, using some out-of-the-box thinking for over 100 years. Coming up, a 1904 family-owned bicycle parts company winds up making air-cooled engines. And imagine going to work making flattened radiator wires. But first, a family business makes the switch from printed circuit boards to running an inn and spa. As the language of business look at multi-generational family-owned businesses continues. What do printed circuit boards, commercial real estate, and hospitality have in common? Michelle Bossano dupont knows, and welcome to the Language of Business. Thank you for having me. So how do all of these relate? Basically, it's because of my family business, we evolved from printed circuit boards, and then from the success of that business, we grew into doing real estate, as well as we moved into hospitality, where we do an inn, a spa, and a conference center in Laconia, New Hampshire. But this wasn't part of some overall business plan? Not at all, no. No, printed circuit boards, we started like 40 years ago, my dad and my grandfather started, and throughout the years, the entire family has worked there at one point in time. We expanded into real estate. It supported the printed circuit board industry because we needed different buildings because we grew into, at one time, five different manufacturing facilities. So from there, we expanded the real estate into doing residential as well, and we have other commercial properties. We purchased a building on Lake Opeachy in Laconia, New Hampshire considered putting manufacturing in there. The community actually started asking to utilize some of the space for some different charitable functions. From there, we said, okay, let's dress up the space a little bit. We started with the conference center. Of course, what goes with the conference center? We started needing lodging for the guests that were coming for some of the trade shows that were happening. And then we just went with it. And all three of those businesses are still operating today. Actually, we just closed down the printed circuit board industry. Definitely, if you know anything about the industry, it has moved offshore. Yes. So there's a big change. But that was perfect for our family because it gave us a segue into the hospitality business, which has been really good for us. And we continue with the real estate as well. Is there any learning that is common to all three? Basically, it's getting along and it's really the human relations because it's unique being in a family business, some of the challenges that you face but you find that the way that you deal with each other helps you to deal with your employees as well. One of the things my dad always did was inspired loyalty. It always amazed me when he closed down the business 40 years, there were still people that were with him from the beginning. So I think that the learning experience was carrying that 
inspiration of loyalty through to the other businesses as well. And which of the three excites you the most? I guess I'd have to say the hospitality since that's where I am. <laughs> it was really fun to design. We have a big old mill building on Lake Opeechee and my passion is more of the design part. So being able to take this big mill building and break it down and I say to people having a house with 34 bedrooms is fun. You can do any colors you want, any kind of designs you want. Our inn has 34 rooms that are every single one is decorated differently. On your email address, you list yourself only as an innkeeper. Why not president, CEO, or chief hospitality master? It's another thing I learned from my dad, and that's to be humble. My father was classic for, at one point in time, being so successful, he could have driven any car he wanted, and he drove a minivan. And he said that he is no different than the people that work for him, that we wouldn't have our success without the people that work for us. You can come to the inn and my husband will be doing laundry, I'll be cleaning rooms. If that's what needs to be done, that's what needs to be done. I feel that we're the same as everyone else. Yes, we happen to be carrying the reins and we happen to be carrying that responsibility. At the same time, it's our responsibility to work with everybody. So I think Innkeeper pretty much covers it because that's really what I do. How active are your nieces and nephews in business strategy as opposed to operations? Mm -hmm. I have one nephew who, he's not stationed at the inn, he was, and then he went off to school, and he also made some other career choices, and one of the things that we've learned over the years is when you're coming into a family business, you should work somewhere else at some point in time so that you can experience it and make sure it's something that you want to do to come back to the family business. But with that said, we consult back and forth on a regular basis. He also assists us with some of the marketing. He does a lot of research and then brings it to the table and says, okay, what if we did this? Right now, he's looking at how do we diversify and expand, but have it complement what we're currently doing? So one of the things that we are looking at is actually we're expanding our gift shop, and then we're also looking at a clothing line, and that's kind of exciting. What keeps you up more at night, managing the family or managing the business itself? That's a good question. I think probably, honestly, managing the business, really. It's the employees, they depend on you, their families are depending on you, and it can be challenging. The human relations part of a business is, is hard. You have per different personalities and different things going on in everybody's lives and challenges. You want them to be there at work. They've got other things going on. You have to figure out how to work with that and get the rest of the team to back it up. And I think that's probably it, is making sure that everyone's happy. We want people to come to work and enjoy it, not be miserable about coming to work. In the dog days of summer? Our dogs are the most famous dogs you will ever meet. We actually have locals who come and they bring dog bones to the dogs on a regular basis once a week. We also, our guests, some of them will book and they'll be coming to see the dogs. It's crazy. We, the dogs will get mail. They get people's leftovers from the restaurant. They have the biggest fan base that it's unbelievable. And people get to bring their dogs and they really enjoy that as well. Michelle, thank you. Thank you. Michelle Bossano DuPont, innkeeper at the Lake Opeche Inn in Laconia, New Hampshire. Still to come, imagine going to work making flattened radiator wires. But first, a 1904 family-owned bicycle parts company winds up making air-cooled engines. On the Language of Business, look at multi-generational family-owned businesses continues. Our sponsor is Art Lifting. If you have a small business, or even if you run a Fortune 500 company, you can uplift the look of your office with Art Lifting. Art Lifting has over 1,300 artworks in a variety of styles and prices. You can buy them or rent them and switch them up on a rotation every month or so. But wait, there's more. All of the Art Lifting art is by artists who are homeless or dealing with disabilities. So you not only brighten and uplift your office, you're helping local communities across the USA. To learn more and view the collection, go to artlifting.com. The Language of Business look at multi-generational family-owned businesses continues. Once again, here's Greg Stoller. 
Thanks, Don. John Stevenson is from a fourth generation family business and has used that expertise to run now three ventures simultaneously. We're here with one of them, W.J. Connell Company, here on the south shore of Massachusetts. And John, welcome to Language of Business. Thank you, Greg. On your website, there seems to be a relationship between W.J. Connell Company and power distributors. What is that? Yes, so W.J. Connell Co. is the namesake of our business. And power distributors is one of the businesses that we have run and owned over the years. And most recently, we've been part of a roll-up venture to a distribution network throughout the United States. And Power Distributors is a distributor in outdoor power, and we are known as a service distributor. Our main manufacturer is Briggs & Stratton. Which is lawn mowers, either riding motors or regular uh, consumer motors, Yeah, correct? Briggs & Stratton is the largest air-cooled manufacturer in the world. They produce between 8 and 10 million engines a year, and they also have a variety of outdoor products under the brand Simplicity & Snapper. Uh, they make riding tractors and lawn mowers and a variety of different applications powered by small air-cooled engines. And so Power Distributors is the network, the service network, that sets up it's around 15,000 authorized dealers to perform service and warranty work and then ultimately that's our sales channel. And how has that relationship changed over four generations? Well, uh, back in 1904, we weren't doing outdoor power of any kind, obviously. <laughs> My great-grandfather started W.J. Connell Company as a bicycle parts company, and it sort of merged into distribution and then automotive distribution. And then in the 30s and 40s and 50s, my grandfather joined my great-grandfather, and they ran the company together. And then in the 60s, my father is the outlaw married my mother, and then he came into the business, and at that point, there was a very dramatic change from automotive to air-cooled engines. There were a variety of factors at the time to make that change, and so my father and grandfather actually sold a larger automotive business to focus on outdoor power. And then from the late 60s through the mid-90s, the business grew. And then from there, I, I came into the business in the early 90s and decided, boy, if we're going to survive for the next 50 years, and if I'm not, I'm not going to be the idiot generation that sort of implodes the entire business, we've got to do something a little bit different. And so I connected with a, a colleague in the industry, and we merged our two companies together, and that began a process of this roll-up that's been going on for the last several years. If your great-grandfather were here now, what do you think his thoughts would be on where you are today? I think he would be look at me and say, you're absolutely crazy because of all the different things that I'm trying to do. But on the other hand, he would probably be very excited that as an entrepreneur himself, that his great grandson has that passion and is continuing to do entrepreneurial work and business work you know, to this day. If you had to trace it back four generations, what do you think is the best thing you've learned? The one thing I've learned in spades is either you adapt or die. And so if you look at our company that's been around for, you know, 115, 110, 115 years, the only reason we're still in business is that every generation has been responsible to adapt and change the business to try to create value in the marketplace and to survive and to keep going. And that's it's a constant process. Why do you think family businesses run themselves differently than, say, traditional businesses? I think there are very a lot of similarities in terms of regular businesses and quote-unquote family businesses, privately held. And at the end of the day, you have to create value in a marketplace to survive. I think for family businesses, the challenge is that if you have family members and multiple family members, how do the members get along? Do they each have a valuable role? Are they truly contributing to the business? And I think those family dynamics really can be quite productive or you know, cause some problems. 
Most family businesses don't survive a second generation, let alone a third generation. By the time you get to the fourth generation, I think you're in the single digits in terms of percentages, whether companies survive. Do you think your customers treat you differently because you're from a family business? Initially, when I first started and I was in the field making some sales calls, yeah, you'd be like, oh, you're so-and-so's son. And that could be somewhat of an issue. Even employees in the company looked at me a little bit different as a family member. So it does put some pressure on you as a family member to really be a contributor. And then pretty soon everybody forgets that you're a family member. You're just John Stevenson, someone who's working in the company. So. John, thank you very much. Thank you, Greg. John Stevenson, the CEO of WJ Canal Company here on the South Shore of Massachusetts. Imagine going to work making flattened wire radiator fins as the language of business look at multi-generational family-owned businesses continues. One more time, here's Greg. It's a family-owned business dating back to 1949 that makes products most people don't think about. But developers and construction companies know what makes IBC Wire special. Ted Steichleiter, welcome to Language of Business. It's great to be here. Thanks. What, if anything, is the same from 1949 until now? Some of our core products are still the same. Our primary business is making flattened wire, and it goes into some uh, basic industries. One of those products is a flattened radiator fin, and that's still used in large natural gas industrial applications. And we make a lot of flattened wires for armoring. And that armoring, believe it or not, is a very old product. It actually goes back to the turn of the century. How about innovations from 1949 until now? We make it thinner, faster, and with a lot more of precision. And that's essentially it, though the core products are basically the same. What makes IBC Wire then special? It really boils down to our core process, which is a proprietary rolling mill. If you do not have a niche application as a small business, you don't exist. And unfortunately, in this day and age, we're fortunate enough to have that. What about the aspect of a family business? For us, it's worked. Family members here are stakeholders in the business and work here. I've seen plenty of situations that are not as workable when there's stakeholders that are not involved in the business and that tends to be a little bit more difficult. But I run this mostly with my brother and we have complementary backgrounds. He's more of a tech guy and I'm more of the industrial management guy. Well, what about some of the fights you and your brother have had over the years? We've been very fortunate that none of them have been too severe. That's not always the case, but generally speaking, where he's handling his segment, I don't get too involved. I can't give him a lot of good input in terms of database technology, and he can't give me a lot of good input in terms of rolling technology. That works great. So luckily, we've been very fortunate. Would you ever want silent partners who are family? We would probably want that as, as an absolute last resort. Again, it gets very difficult when you're running a business and people aren't stakeholders and don't understand all the same perspective or may not have the same perspective that you do. We are looking for longer term stakeholders and typically when you involve somebody in that kind of capacity, they're looking for immediate returns and that's not necessarily where we're going. What do you say to an employee who's worked here for 25 years and is going to walk away with a pension but probably nothing else? We have profit sharing and a 401k plan and we aim to impart as much stability for our employees as possible. But you would never offer them equity in the company? There is a chance in the next generation, should it be that I do not have a successor. In fact, I did my dissertation, so to speak, on employee stock ownership plans, ESOPs, and it influenced a lot of what I do here, which in fact I distilled and turned around. And what we do, it's, I went all the way to the other side. Equity isn't 
liquid enough for folks. So we have a quarterly bonus program that's hooked to efficiency and our performance. You've been at this for almost 70 years. What do you think the next 70 years will hold? The goal is more to maintain and grow with the market. We're lucky that we're participating in markets that grow. And the goal is to meet the customer's needs as much as possible. We will grow. We'll have growth that are related to both of these markets if we can do it. And we will have stability, which is our biggest desire, because we are a long-term player for our customers. And it has gotten very strange out here because we have so many difficulties in the marketplace with public companies that if they go through even a few quarters of distress, it materially affects how people are actually doing their business. So we're valued by our customers because we, as a vendor, understand what their needs are intimately and give them what they need in the time frame that they need it. Ted, thank you very much. Thank you. Ted Steichleather, the president of IBC Wire here in Southeastern Massachusetts. Thanks, Greg. We publish a new episode of The Language of Business every Tuesday. We're available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and TuneIn and Google Play and Stitcher or just say, Alexa, play The Language of Business. Searching for latest episode of The Language of Business. Here it is from my cast. We have downloads in 28 countries and 28 states. Thank you for the support. Our director is Mark Mandel. Social media by Jennifer Powell of ExcellentWriters.com. Consulting producer is Helen Tierney of Happy Accident Productions. Audio editing and voiceover by yours truly. Special thanks to Mike Carruthers of SomethingYouShouldKnow.net. For Greg Stoller and the entire team, I'm executive producer Don Kelly. Thanks for listening to The Language of Business.